Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. As we mentioned in our Lake Lanier episode, Lindsay and I just got back from Cancun. And while we were there, we were told about a legend in the area. So today we are going to talk about that legend, as well as another one we discovered once we got back home. I'm excited. We are drawn to things spooky when we travel independently or together. Mm -hmm. Normally, whenever I go on vacation, I'm like, do you have a ghost story anywhere? So (laughs) can anyone tell us things? Yeah. But I think we now prefer spooky traveling together. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just traveling generally together. Yeah. But we did have the opportunity to visit the ruins in Tulum while we were in Cancun. So it's a little bit outside Cancun, but it was definitely a time. It was. I will say like we were on the bus back and I was like talking about like what our time was and I described it as profoundly wet (laughs) because I did not know that my body was able to sweat that much. It was humbling, you know, like to know that my body could just produce that much sweat (laughs) um, and me be upright. Because like when I tell you that every inch of my body, it felt like I had like just gotten out of the shower. Yeah. But I produced all of the moisture on my body. I did that. And there was like caterpillars that were like dangling from trees. So like you're profoundly wet and then also walking into like Things that feel like spider webs, but they're not. They're caterpillars, but it's still like you don't want them on you because they're like, clearly this thing would drown. Yeah. I had one on my hat while getting back on the bus and I was like, oh no, hold on and had to put it back on a tree. See, I didn't have any on me that I was aware of at least, but there was like several people standing in front of me who like must have walked through a nest. Oh no. Because they were like squirming all over them. And I'm like, I don't. Or caterpillars. Yeah. And like they were sometimes killing them, sometimes removing them nicely. But like when you feel something crawl on you, your immediate like reaction is to like pet, you know? So like once they realized what it was, they moved it off of them. But like, yeah, I feel like they had an average human response of like, what is on my body crawling? (laughs) And fair, fair. What a time. What a time. A fun time. Amazing time. Amazing time. But but so wet. Lindsay and I now have to make it our mission to prepare everyone to go to Tulum one day. But no one prepared us. So that's going to be our life mission now is to prepare you and everyone you know that it will be insanely humid there. And there's not much shade. No shade. So you're just standing in the sun the entire time learning about ruins that are absolutely beautiful, but just sweating. And there's iguanas everywhere. But yeah, but yeah, you're dying inside as you're doing it. I will say, it's not that there's no shade. It's just that the very particular tour we were on, it was like our tour guide was like, this is the sunniest place. This is where I'll take you. And at one point, he was like, he had an iPad and he was like showing us things. And throughout the tour, it was like very helpful. But at one point, he was talking about like things that came from the Mayans. And he would like name a thing and show a picture. And you'd be like, ah, and he's like, not from Mayans. And he did this like four or five times. We were like... What was the point of any of that? Like I didn't I didn't know much about Mayan culture before then, so I didn't need I didn't need it, but it was interesting. But I heard like another tour guy being like, We're gonna do our best to keep you in the shade. And ours was certainly not like that. He was like, I'm gonna sit you on top of the sun <laughs> and then just and we're just gonna do a little chit chat. We're gonna hang out. There was another tour that had that like gave everyone like umbrellas to stand under. I don't know whether that would have done much because it was very humid. But what a time. What a wet time. I was telling a coworker about this experience and it was a coworker who I'm not very close with. So like, of course, I'm like, I was very sweaty. You'll be very sweaty. <laughs> I was like, just prepare to be profoundly wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the best we could tell you. It's now our metric for hot, by the way, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even, you know, I'm in Arizona where it is hell. And uh, it did rain the last couple of days a little bit. Monsoon time. Mm hmm. And every time my husband goes outside, he's like, mm, it feels a little Tulumi. <laughs> That's the only way to describe it. <laughs> I often say muggy or balmy, but it is Tulumi now. Yeah, yeah. We've coined that term. Yeah. But after the tour, I did take our tour guide to the side and I was like, tell me about this legend. 
So as we're talking about it in a little bit, what he's told me, I added to it and I thought it was really neat because he said that they have to go through like a class almost every couple of years to continue being this guide mm-hmm. to learn about any new thing that we've discovered about Mayans and their culture. So he's like, I'm as up to date as I think you can be. That's cool, though. I'm like, that's awesome. I've had a job as a tour guide and it was like me just like learning from a pamphlet, like barely enough information myself, not knowing. And I was just winging it. So I like the idea that like there's a tour guide that is actually well versed in the information they're giving, especially when you're talking about something like ruins and you're like on that actual land. It feels necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. While we were in Cancun as well, when we were booking our excursions, we asked our liaison to tell us about any spooky stories that she knew of the area. And she gave us some interesting stories and details. So we added that to today as well, what we'll be talking about. But one detail she did not give us. So if you do visit Cancun and you go to Tulum, <laughs> is that it'll take you an hour and a half to get there, but it will take you three hours to get back. <laughs> And we were the last stop, too. So there was, like, many an issue. At one point, the parking gate of one of the resorts wouldn't go back up, so we couldn't leave. And he wouldn't just drive around it. He was like, no, it must go up. No, it must go up. And we were like, okay, great. So we're sitting here for, like, 20 minutes. But, like, we're the last stop, and it's just the four of us on the bus and the bus driver. And he begins to play, like, older, sad love songs. Like, ballads. They were, like, all, like sad ballads but just all with the same kind of like (laughs) no i'm done with love vibe but i'm still in love with someone i've been hurt but i'm not gonna do this again because i'm still hurt like it very much felt like he was working through something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i feel like and we were there with our experiences we will now be your cancun tour guides ourselves like yes we will help you book the best things And we will help you find this random shit that happened to us so that you can also experience this. Yeah. Do you want to be profoundly wet? (laughs) You don't. You really don't. But the ruins are great. We can get you there. I like that you're like we we don't we you don't and I immediately am just like we I'm, I'm like winking you know what I mean <laughs> those are the versions of us I feel like everyone should see the ruins like yeah just learn about the history and to actually physically see them it's much different even the pictures we took I'm like yeah it's not the same I feel like I still don't see it the same way everyone should experience it once but be prepared yeah yeah I mean more prepared than us. <laughs> Anytime I go to a new place, I like to learn about that place, too. And I, and I just think that's a, that's important. And, you know, part of the wonderful thing about traveling is seeing different cultures. So taking that in, I think, is important. But it was an intense, intense day. And pictures don't do it justice. I mean, I feel like all of the pictures that we have are like, oh, it's pretty. But it doesn't do justice of, like, the feeling of being there. Yeah. And just, like, knowing the history that happened there, like, when you're walking around. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different, like, vibe. but. Today, we're going to talk about, like I said, one of the legends we heard about while we were there and then one that we learned when we came home. If you want to hear about our vacation, we are going to discuss it at the end of the episode. Yeah. So stick around for after the credits. The first one that we're going to start with is one that we found out about later when we were looking at different Mayan legends. And it's of a creature called the Dundunkan. And so it's a mythical Mayan creature. And its name means the one who goes through the sky. And it looks like a blackbird with a very large beak, but it has no eyes. Ooh, okay. And from what I understand, like you, you there's sockets, just no eyes. Um, oh, like my dog. Oh, God. <laughs> so sad. And I made it really depressing. Uh, the bird only has one leg and it has no soul. Some think that it lived near Mayan ruins, but then moved to the jungle. And one of the particular legends about this creature is that it used to lay its eggs in the remaining rooms of some of the Mayan ruins. So like the ones that are still standing, it was laying eggs in there. But then once it started getting more populated by people, it went to the jungle. Oh, okay. So that it could like breed in peace, I guess. And so makes sense. What does it do? Well of course it uh it feeds on children. Why not? <laughs> Why not? And it enters their bedroom while they're asleep. And specifically to infants, it will go and it will blow what is called wind of death into their mouth and kill them. Interesting. Yeah. And I feel like what's also interesting about this one is that the legends on its 
origin are vastly different. Yeah. And like normally when we see this, like when, when we're talking about any sort of like legend or cryptid or anything that like hurts children in any way, it's normally to get children to behave in a certain way, you know? Yes. This one, I'm like, how do you stop them? Like the kids are being good sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also I think what's interesting here too is that so many times you hear about creatures being omens of a thing to happen, right? A disaster or death or something. And here it's the creature itself that's doing it. Yeah. So like, because I feel like if you, you, there are legends of like black dogs and like some people say like crows or ravens can be like an omen of death, right? But here it's like, no, this is the bird that's doing it. Right, right. So let's talk about some of the legends associated with it. So a Mayan shaman was renowned for his work of healing and caring for the women and children in his community. He was out looking for medicinal herbs and came upon a woman who he instantly fell in love with. He wrote poems for her and he shared his feelings, but she didn't reciprocate. A long while later, she ends up getting with a member of the royal family. Eventually, she gives birth to the heir of the throne. And one day, the shaman went to the child's room and approached the baby while singing. The child ended up dying. Many people saw the interaction, so the other shamans cursed that particular shaman. He became the soulless bird whose song would kill. Interesting start, right? Like, I feel like just knowing that someone would kill someone that they love's kid just doesn't add up to me. Well, I, from what I under, like, when I was reading this particular legend, the way that I took it, it wasn't immediately clear to me that he did kill the baby or if it was just it just happened to be a terrible coincidence. So I think that's what's confusing to me because like it's either that this like poor guy who was in love with the woman and is like, OK, but I love you. So like I'm happy for you and your life. Then like a terrible thing happens when he's there. Yeah. And then he's cursed or he's a complete bag of dicks and kills her baby in which he definitely deserves to be a soulless bird with one leg and no eyes. Yeah. I know we're going to talk about another origin story in a bit, but like it's the one leg, right? The one leg for me. Yeah. I saw one particular place that was like, it's not that they're just only standing on one leg and they alternate. It's that they legitimately only have one leg. Like it was like a very important part. Interesting. Yeah. Well, here's another origin. Some say that the Dundakan was created by the goddess Ismukane. She was creating two birds out of dough. She threw both pieces in the fire. She told the forming birds that if they wanted to reach their potential beauty, they needed to stay in the fire so that they could fully cook. Dundakan was overeager and came out of the fire too soon, which is why he's missing various body parts. He then destroyed everything he came into contact with. I feel like that's me anytime I try to bake something new. Like the first one's just fucked. And then the second one's like, you're a true baker. Yeah. <laughs> the bird that stayed in the fire fully cooked. So he had gorgeous blue feathers and had all of his body parts, amazingly enough. <laughs> his beautiful song created order in the world. That's what I like to think my baking does, too. <laughs> Look, I have not yet tried one of your baked goods, but I, from the looks of them, they're stunning. I think that it's like an interesting allegory of patience and that like if you rush things, it becomes chaos and you like lose essential parts. And then children die because you rush things. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Okay. And then if you don't, you get like wicked blue feathers, all your body parts. That's a plus. And a fucking record deal. <laughs> <laughs> Some people think that the Dundukan is one of the ways in which the demon, Caucus Ball, transforms. And so this particular demon, their name comes from Bal, which means thing, and Kas, which means ugly. So it basically means ugly thing. Okay. Sad. What this demon typically looks like when it's not transformed, it has raven-like claws on its feet, fucked on arms. I did not see a particular number. I just saw various words for the word many. So like one said limitless, countless, lots, big ears, horns. It's covered in hair. Okay. Monkey's testicles specifically. Oh, okay. Uh, and snail is a snake or a lizard. And then there was one source that I was reading that was in Spanish and it was translated on Google Translate. And so what it said was, quote, his body is made of organs of animals that hate each other. And I was like, how specific? <laughs> he has a lot of internal struggles is what I hear. Yeah, like that's what I was thinking. Like, it's like at odds with himself, right? So yeah. 
Yeah. He can't really speak. He makes guttural sounds. And the people who hear those guttural sounds are like paralyzed. Oh. And so his breath is poisonous, much like our Dudukan. Um, nocturnal, hates sunlight. And like wherever he goes, he fucking causes catastrophe. So there's plagues, dead crops, famines. And he can also transform into insects or other birds or just a human. He poisons little kids so he can drink their blood. Why are we so against kids? This is a, a possible version of the Dunyan right? Where I know, I know, but so like we know, like the other version said that he eats kids, but they only want kids. Like the one version of the tale. I wonder why. I don't know. I guess they. Why just the kids? I don't know. I don't know. But that's the Dunukan. Like, I was, like, reading about it, and I was like, this is the most interesting legends in that, like, it all seems so contradictory. And I think that's part of, the, like, the difficulty when you're looking at a much older civilization's folklore and stuff like that is because you're going to see bits and pieces, but you're not going to see a full picture. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like even when we talk about our next part, like, that's definitely true, that we definitely saw a few different versions of something where... It's not just that, like, it's a slightly different story. It's a wholly different story about the same diff- same type of creature. Right. So the next one we are going to talk about is the Aleutius. And this is the one that our liaison helped us learn about before we went to Tulum and before we went to uh, Isla Mujeres. She did mention it there, too. And I thought just so if you ever look it up, it's actually spelled different than what it sounds like in English. It's spelled A-L-U-X-E-S. So just it's interesting. This is the one that we heard a lot of different things about and a lot of different people still do things for the Aleutius. And we'll talk about some of that in a bit. So they are called and described in many ways. So they're called things like goblins, golems, elves, poltergeists, little people, and their description often varies as well. So some say they're invisible, but can become visible when they want to. They're described as knee high. They have wide owl-like eyes and very, very quick movements. Sometimes they have body parts of other animals like iguanas, deer, Owls, like their owl eyes, macaws, and also kawadi. Oh, I've never fucking seen that before. Oh, okay. Literally never seen this. Oh, no? This is the fucking cutest thing I've ever fucking seen in my life. But they're absolutely adorable. I literally currently have it up on my fucking screen. Let me tell you about it real quick because it's very important to me. Okay, it has like a fox slash badger slash like shaped face with a raccoon kind of mask and then ears like a little baby bear. And then cat, like a cute little tail, like a domestic cat. Yeah. It's kind of striped. And they've got cute little sloth looking feet. They're adorable. They are. I think I've seen one at our zoo, possibly. I don't know why I knew what it was. This is fucking adorable. They're adorable. They're adorable. So sometimes they can have the body parts of them. Some describe the Aleutians similar to sprites. So like spiritual fairy-like creatures. Some regions say they can be in more frightening forms, though. So like things like dark shadows or shapes, and sometimes they have glowing red eyes. And where they're found is somewhere along the Yucatan Peninsula. So it seems like they could almost be anywhere. They're typically found in areas like jungles, forests, fields, caves, and sometimes deep stones. I couldn't find what a deep stone is. I don't know if it's like, I don't know, maybe like the river stones or something like that. Could you? I looked for a little bit. I looked too. I did deep stone in quotes and then like plus Mexico to see like, is that like something that's like unique to that area? It didn't come up with anything like that. I was thinking like river because sometimes they like bless the land, sometimes they don't. And then sometimes I saw that they would move closer to civilization if they feel that they can benefit from it or if they are given offerings. And we're going to talk about their offerings Yeah, and archaeologists have found small clay figures that appear to be ancient offerings. And the figurines would typically be just a few centimeters, so they'd be pretty small. Yeah. And illusions are thought to be easily pleased, but they can also be easily angered. And if they are disrespected or disregarded, they can take on more menacing forms and frighten local people or visitors. And they often will destroy items or pull pranks. If someone feels like they've had a long line of bad luck... It may be because they have wronged an illusion in some way, which is interesting, right? Because that sounds a little bit like a lot of different curses we've heard about. Yeah. 
Like the the one that immediately pops into my mind is Richard the Doll and Bodie California when people have removed stuff. Mm-hmm. If a person believes that it was an illusion kind of curse that is causing all of their bad luck, they would make it up to them by giving them an offering. And sometimes they would build them a little home. I was thinking about this more with like their little homes. And I wonder if that's what we saw when we were on the bridge on Isla Mujeres, because there's like a little blue house on the ground. Mm -hmm. And we went by it really fast. We had, yes, rented a golf cart. So we were just like zooming around the island. But I wish we would have stopped and looked at it because when I was on the golf cart, I was like, oh, it looks like it might be a little library or that like it's pedestal or something. Yeah. Got broken. But now thinking about it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wonder if they built that for the Aleutians for the bridge. Yeah, I think that would make sense. Yeah. Just some things that they can do and some stories about them. If a Mayan was walking across the jungle, they may be stopped by one. And then the Aleutians would ask for an offering. If the person refused to give them an offering, they would then go gather more Aleutians. The little group of them that would then cause mayhem for the rest of the person's travels. And... It's thought that they couldn't do real physical harm, but they could do things like spells or curses or cause an illness. So it's thought that if you do not want the illusions near you, you should not say their name because saying their name can summon them to you. And so it's really interesting that we, in all of the discussions we had about them with the people who lived there. No, we weren't told that. They never mentioned that. That was never something where they were like, you shouldn't say the name if you don't want them to come near you. Because we were talking about them the whole time because we were like, this is so interesting. Like, we want to learn more. And like when we would talk to a tour guide, we would ask them questions. And so just interesting that that wasn't brought up there. I'm surprised more by the tour guide because he specialized in Mayan culture. And that's one thing that I like took him aside and I'm like, hey, can you tell me about the Aleutians? And he lit up and he was like, yeah, let me tell you about this, 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 this. But never once told me, but we probably shouldn't say their name often. So it's also thought that the Aleutians can scream and that if they're angry, they can create whirlpools. And it's also thought that if you do summon them to you, they will cause something bad to happen. And so just one example, they'll cause something bad to happen to you, which from what I understand is one of the reasons why people do have offerings for them. If they're in a situation where they would encounter them, and we're going to talk a little bit more about like situations where you might want to be in their favor. <laughs> like, for example, in 1993, there was a team of archaeologists who were about to start work. And before they did, they had a ceremony for the Aleutians. And there was media coverage of the ceremony. And because it was a ceremony by the National Institute of Anthropology and History. So a formal organization was having this kind of like folklore like ceremony. And the purpose of it was to ask for permission to carry out their work because they believed that at least in some small part, they could have been cursed if they hadn't been. And when Amanda and I were listening to this, one of the things that we thought about was we talked about it in our our Mermaids episode, how the locals believed that they were basically having damage to this dam from mermaids because they didn't have the ceremony. And the actual government was like, we'll have the ceremony because at the very least, it will quell the fear, right? And worst case scenario, you're doing something that's like not that big of a deal and not that difficult. And like, why not do it if you can just verify you won't have a curse? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? So some other details that we found about them is local legends say that the Aleutians will stay on your land or in your community if you do build them that small home to live in. So we talked about their offerings, and this could be one of them. If you build them the home, they'll stay there. And I think we actually did encounter a couple of them throughout our travels, too. When they live on the property, they are believed to help in things like growing crops, guarding the land, and even calling upon rain during the dry seasons. When we were doing our tour in Tulum, and I asked the tour guide about him, he said that Mayans sometimes would do a sacrifice during season changes. So I wonder if that was to help them get more rain for their crops, too. The tour guide also described that the Mayans would often get permission from the Aleutians before making any large changes to the land, like designating a new area for crops or building something large. Hmm. I thought that was kind of cool, though. So one of the other kind of differing legends that we saw about the Aleutians, I was very surprised by because it was very different from everything else that we saw to the point where it almost sounded like a different type of mythical being. So here's how this legend goes. So the idea is that to attract Aleutians to your property, farmers would go to shaman who would use a combination of mud and the farmer's blood to create a small 
illusion figure that would be bonded to the farmer. And so the process to create them would take seven weeks and it would originally be this kind of mud doll and it would come to life through the shaman's prayers and offerings. When it did come to life, it would live on the land. It would help be a guardian and protector to the land. One of the things that we saw that was really interesting was that sometimes the Aleutians would only stay on the land if they found that the farmer had integrity. So they seemed like a shitty person. They would just be like, goodbye. I saw one source where it talked about the length of time and one said that it was only seven years. So like you own the Aleutians only stayed around for seven years. And after that seven years of like a prospering farm, the Aleutians would take the landowner to, to basically the underworld. Oh, and like both would be done. So like this was an exchange for a short period of time of prospering, which is I saw that in like one site, which was interesting because I was like, oh, that's a really heavy price. But like if that was your livelihood, right, and it was a generational land, I could see why a person would do that. So say that the farm changed hands because of either sale or the natural death of the previous landowner. The Alush would then be in the service of the god of corn, and their name is Yumkax. If the new owner didn't provide offerings and prayer to the Aleutian to basically show their respect and their reverence for them, then the Aleutian would play pranks and bring misfortune to that new landowner. So it wasn't guaranteed that the Aleutian would necessarily continue to be in your service. And if that one farmer originally who did have integrity and did work on the land changed how they acted or mistreated the Aleutians in any way, they would then create chaos. It seemed like the agreement was continually conditioned on that farmer being a decent human and continuing to show them the reverence, which I thought was interesting. Just kind of like that seemed very different because in this version, they are not an ancient being. They are they are created of the land. So they're actually like part of the landowner and part of the land itself and like created a bond between the two. Yeah, I saw a couple different things and it was more like, if you help me, I'll help you type agreement. And then also as far as like being an ancient being, it was like they were formed of the land. They are the land in that sense. And so they wanted to take care of it. But again, you have to take care of your land. You have to take care of your helper Mm -hmm. in order for them to return the favor. But there's so many stories with them. I thought it was just a really cool legend overall. Yeah, yeah. So back to their cute little homes. While we were in Mexico, we heard a story about a bridge that's near the airport. And how they had a hard time building it and keeping it going. And after we did some research, it's often called the Welcome to Cancun Bridge. And we actually did go under it, I want to say, when we were leaving the airport to go to our hotel. Yeah, I remember seeing it. Yeah. So when they were beginning to construct this bridge, it kept having problems. Like something would come up to where they weren't able to continue or they'd have to start over from what we heard. And it happened multiple times until someone finally stepped up and said, hey, you forgot to give an offering to the Aleutians and you didn't ask their permission to build this. So before they started to build again, they built a little home with the help of a Mayan shaman and they called it the Casa de los Aleutians. And once they did that, the bridge stayed up. The little house is super cute, too. And something that we just heard is a little earlier this month. Casa de los Aleutians was demolished to make more room for more lanes. And that made my heart really sad because it was adorable. Yeah. But government Carlos Joaquin did state that another will be built in its place. So I wonder how that'll work. Like, will it be before they make the lanes, as they're making the lanes, they're doing both? Or if even this project will be successful? I just felt like it was a little... I don't know how the Aleutians would feel with their home being torn down first to make room. Yeah, I'm like, I would imagine that would be slighted. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how the project will go. So if anyone goes soon, let us know what you see. And like I said before, many of their little homes can be seen throughout the Yucatan Peninsula. Many people still keep up with the legend and they believe that it brings good luck to keep the Aleutians happy. And I saw in one place that the Aleutians will only assist for approximately seven years. So similar to what Lindsay saw in One Legend. And after that, they get bored. They get bored with their work. They're kind of over it. And I'm like, I kind of feel that after seven years, you need a change sometimes. Yeah. 
<laughs> but Ancient Origins said that, quote, after seven years, it is recommended that the farmer permanently bar the door of the tiny Alouche home to trap him inside. If the door is not sealed, the Alouche will begin causing mischief on the farm and even bring misfortune to it. And I was like, that sounds so sad. I hate this. I also just feel like, yeah, that's a bad idea. Because say, for example, you have a bout of bad weather and it destroys the barricades you've put on that door. Mm-hmm. What do you think that creature is going to do to you or your great grandchildren because you did that? Like, right, right. I feel like a curse would be a Bruin and you deserve it too. Yeah, I saw that. And then I was like, okay, is there any other thing that they could do though if they get bored? Like, can they just like move to a new farm and get a new position or, you know, take them to like, the jungle instead of the farmland or do something. And I could not find anything about like moving them or like switching your protectors. Nothing. I just saw board up their house. You can create a new one or find a new one to help you or summon a new one or leave an offering for a new one. But I did not see that you could just like move him and give him a happy little life. And let's talk a little bit about the history of them too. So historians claim that sometimes the word alouche is sometimes mistaken for the Spanish word Duende. And the translation for Duende is a supernatural being or spirit resembling a pixie, gnome, or goblin. Interestingly, there's also discussion about Duendes having special homes or places where they live, kind of like an Alouche. And so the concept of a Duende is found in folklore all over the world, including Spain, Greece, Portugal, Philippines, and Belize. But they have different names in different locations, but they're all described in like a common way-ish. And one of the things that this kind of reminds us of when we're talking about the slight mischief is some of the things that we've talked about in our Christmas monster episodes where the creatures will cause a slight inconvenience, like they could cause you to burn your food, um, (laughs) cause bad weather, wake people up in the middle of the night, tempting children to hang out and cause chaos with them. But in like the Alouche, they can also do nice things too. Like they can help you rebuild. They can help someone who's lost. They can look over the land and they can even row boats of old fishermen. That last one seems particularly kind. Yeah. I love the idea of B-level fucking up your life. It's not that you're going to like die. It's just that you're going to have a bad fucking day. You're going to wake up and someone already ate your breakfast. Yeah. It's so little but inconvenient. Yeah. Like those leftovers that you were really looking forward to. (laughs) Your cat ate or your husband ate. Both are really bad. Or the the birds that flew into our room ate your bread. Okay, but anyway, back to the illusions. So the word duende in history is sometimes used interchangeably with an Alouche. So historians think that the Alouche's legend may stem from Mayan interactions with the Spanish during the 1500s. And so also around the same time, the Maya also had contact with pirates from the British Isle who believed in things like fairies and other creatures. That's originally what I thought. I was like, oh, this sounds like the fae, like just like a version of that. It kind of does. You know, one thing, though, I will have to say is like, in my mind, I never really thought that the Mayans would be talking to pirates. Like, don't don't those two people just seem like they would have never interacted? Like, they were all in different places, but like, it totally makes sense. But when I read that and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're telling me. <laughs> no, 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 no. They didn't have time for each other. They were doing different things. They were busy. And then there's others that think that myths about duende and fairies came after the belief in the illusion. So for for people who believe that, they think the Alouche were the spirits of Maya ancestors or spirits of the land itself. And I know that when we originally talked with the liaison, she had mentioned some people think that the Alouche predated humans in this area. So that before humans ever were here, it was the Alouche who had the land. And because they had the land first, the land is theirs. Yeah. So everything we do and all of the different types of like ceremonies and asking for permission and offering and all of those is because this land is theirs. And that that's what made more sense to me. Yes, because I mean, they're they're asking permission to build. They're building them things within their buildings or near their buildings. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like they were there then. Yeah, yeah, that was theirs. (laughs) There even may be a loose present in pre-Columbia Maya art, but there's not labels. So it's kind of hard to see what they are 
in, in, in the actual art pieces. And there's also some stories of something called a Didi that may be another name for an Alush in a different area. And they're also short and they're thought to have dark skin and have beards. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, that's how I, I think of like gnomes in a way, right? Like the beard and a gnome. And some people say they look like gnomes. So I wonder yeah, yeah. if that's where it came from. Another belief is that the Alushas were little people. So it's a totally different take on what they could be. And some cryptozoologists believe that the legend may stem from reports of little Maya people in early centuries. And dwarfism would have been pretty uncommon. And some Mayan people who may have witnessed someone with dwarfism may have communicated their experience in written form. And they may have eventually evolved into this legend. And I was like, it's interesting because that's not one that I saw frequently, like that that could have been what they were. Yeah. And remember, the height of an Alush is said to be about two to three feet high. I went back and I was like, well, how tall were Mayans? How short were they? Because I know a lot of people were much shorter in the day. And so from what I saw, Mayan men averaged only about 5'2", while women were only about 4'8". So perhaps like that, that's not, I guess so out of the question but i like the other legends a little bit more yeah yeah i mean i i could see if you were trying to find something like rooted in history i will say too is like one of the things that we saw a lot when we were looking into this was we a lot about the figurines that were made of them the ones that were like a couple inches or like a couple centimeters high and i would wonder and if an alush is thought to be a couple feet right and these figurines are supposed to be representative of them if you were honoring them with them with the little figurines. I wonder if they were used like near crops and like that's what would scare like creatures off because they saw something that looked like a living thing near it. One of the things that a lot of people will put on their back porch or like near their gardens or anything like that is they'll put like these big owl statues that they're not real owls. They'll just put them there so that it scares the creature away. And I wonder if it was something like that where they were making, yeah, where they translated it over and over and over and over and over. And it's this mystical thing now, but originally what it was, was an ancient scarecrow. Right. I mean, that that's not, I guess, out of the question. And it's sad because we'll never really know the truth of a lot of things with Mayan culture. We have a lot of interpretations and many different people with many different backgrounds have their own interpretation on what they did or why they did certain things. But ultimately, we can't ask them, right? Like, we don't know. Yeah. But I, I love all their stories. It was really fun to learn about them. It was interesting to like learn about different legends having been in the place where those legends are. Yes. Because so often, right, like a lot of times when we're talking about different types of like mythological creatures or cryptids or anything like that, we're talking about places we've never been to or, you know, we've been there for a moment and we didn't we weren't there thinking of those things when we were there. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've driven through the Pine Barrens before, but I wasn't aware of the Jersey Devil at that moment. You know what I mean? So, like, it's different being excited about it. Like, when you drive through Burkittsville, Maryland, after hearing about the Blair Witch, it's a different vibe. Yes. Yes, for sure. I can't wait to go. But today, so how do Alucia's look today? Many farmers and businesses still participate in the legend and take part in offerings and even building the homes for the Alucia's. This includes places like restaurants, hotels, and even some of the smaller shops. Some of them seal the little home after seven years and then build a new one to appease the little guardians. So next time we visit or if you go, definitely keep an eye out for these little homes around the area. If you can get pictures, show them to us because from what I saw online, yeah, a lot of the hotels have a little area for them near some of like, I don't know, like their maintenance buildings or somewhere kind of tucked away so people can't like mess with them. Yeah. We looked for one. But I guess like a lot, it, it's very common to see them. And I want to say we saw maybe two, but we were like, we, we weren't looking from the moment we got there. It was like halfway through our trip that we started looking. Yeah. I also saw that anytime there's any sort of event at a place that's considered sacred, local shamans are brought in to do rituals and prayers. There have also been concerts at Chichen Itza, which is obviously a really sacred place. And it's an ancient Mayan city. And the main pyramid became part of the seven wonders of the world in 2007, which that like in itself, I'm like, oh, my gosh, they'd have concerts there. Like going to concerts sometimes isn't like the safest thing. And I'm like, yeah, near something so sacred. Why would you do that? It stressed me out. Anyways, so before an Elton John concert there, they did not do the proceedings. And then part of the stage that was being set up collapsed during the construction and it injured three workers. 
Damn. Luckily, at that time, there was no damage to the ruins. Like, I'm sad that the three people got hurt, but the ruins were okay. And just, you know, how I said, like, I felt like that was a really strange place to hold a concert. And I did see on its website that it's unlikely more will happen there. Some archaeologists had said, like, hey, concerts can damage the pyramid structures. Yeah. Yeah. Archaeologists are saying, like, please don't do this anymore. So I'm kind of glad that there's not much. But I guess there have been a lot of successful concerts there that went off fine. But most of the time they brought in someone to do a prayer before they did it. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I think it's anytime when like it's formally done as part of like a prep for event or a building, I find the intersection between like government action and folklore very interesting. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Government or business action. Yeah. Yeah. And just the fact that like, you know, many businesses are part of this, right? Like they're building the homes. And then even just with that bridge, the governor is like involved and like, yes, we will build another one. Don't you worry. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. It's it's really neat place to explore and just the history there runs really deep. So asking different people in various parts of the area. They even have different stories for you. And everyone there was really, really kind and like happy to share their information. A little different than some of the places here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, so I feel like a lot of people who go to, I think, Cancun specifically, I think that sometimes people will go to a tourist destination and they will be happy for the tourism of it, but are not necessarily dialed into the culture and the history of what was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you've gone, have you seen any of the little houses Have you heard any of the legends while you were there? And also, so we were asking our liaison about spooky stories. And the first story she told us, so a lot of resorts have a miles long entrance where there's security and there's guards and all these things that you have to go through to get to the resort itself. And between the resorts, there's like wildlife. So there's fences, like there's signs that say like, watch out, there's crocodiles. Like it's definitely not a place where you can just wander and where you would see just random people on the road because you're you're either going to this resort or you're not. Like those are the options if you're on the road, right? And so there were reports that people heard children like laughing and playing. And people were like, oh, we can see them in like around the corner on the street. Like they're right there. There's like a group of children. And security's like, well, that's strange because the, the resort that we went to, it was only adults. There was no children. And they were like, maybe they came like they went through the woods of one of the neighboring resorts and they came here. Yeah. Dangerously. Dangerously. Right. So they're like very concerned. So a group of security guards go because they're anticipating that there's multiple children out there. And when they come back, they all have this like this look like they've seen something. And the woman was like, she asked one of them, she was like, oh, like, what what happened? And they were like, she's like, he just got this like terrified expression and was like, I don't want to talk about it. And every single security guard that had gone out was like, I don't want to talk about it. And so if you're thinking of small creatures, it could have been Lucius, right? It could have been out there, them out there playing mischief or playing a prank. That's that's immediately where my head went with that story. Because we at first we were like ghosts, and then I was like, but what ghosts would be there? You know, right? So that made me think of the Lucius. Yeah, for sure. And I, they never really found out what it was. No. And she even said to this day, like they don't want to talk about if someone says they're children, they don't even go look anymore. Yeah, because it's happened multiple times now. They went out there the first few times and now they're just like, it's not kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We know we're not going to find them. And I'm like, oh, OK. And I was like, oh, yeah, we know it's not going to be kids if we go out there. And I'm like, could you imagine like you get a new job and they're like, if someone calls about children, don't go because it's not children. Right. And you're like, but children I have goosebumps. Like, especially there's like there's crocodiles. We have to go save them. But no one's there. Yeah. And especially if you're in a place where there should be no children, the presence of children is that much more concerning. Mm-hmm. Or hearing them. Yeah. Oof. Just the thought of hearing a child. Disembodied children's laughter is like 10 out of 10 do not want. <laughs> Please no. Yeah. Again, if you've been there or to Cancun generally, or if you heard of the Alush, we're, we're interested. We want your stories. Yeah, for sure. And pictures if you have pictures of the little homes. Yes. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. 
We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. Oh my God, guys. We had, we had birds. They were black. They had two feet and two eyes, though. They flew onto, we had like this little like outdoor patio space and we had ordered room service and we had eaten it outside. So we had the plates outside. We also had taken an entire loaf of bread from the buffet and left it in Lindsay's room. I may have, I may have dared someone to steal a baguette. And they did. Um, but it wasn't stealing. Like, we're allowed to take it. Like, it's 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 an all-you-can-eat thing. But it's just wa- weird that they would have a whole fucking baguette on a buffet. Because who's like, and this baguette for me? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> because, like, they had individual, like, little rolls of the same type of bread. So if you were sharing, there's no reason to create that cr- type of crumb mess. Yeah. Anyway, but so. But I had to paint the picture that, yes, Lindsay also had a baguette in her room. With her door open. Okay, so there's... By the way. There is a baguette in the room. The door is open because we just forgot to close it on our way out. And there's leftovers. And the birds are, like, fucking hyped. One comes. He picks at some chips. He's happy. He leaves. He he tells his friends. He tells his friends. We can hear him, like, squeak, squeak, squeaking. It's like a bird, but it sounded like a dolphin. Then another bird comes. And this bird <laughs> dips its nose... It's been snows. It's beak in fucking nacho cheese, thinking it's bread. So then its face is covered in nacho cheese. Like he just motorboated it. His name was Nacho Cheese Bird. Yeah, that was Nacho Cheese Bird. He stood on like the little divider between our rooms. Queso Bird. Queso. No, his name was Queso Bird. We were in Mexico. He's he obviously speaks Spanish. He's not an American bird. Queso Bird. He's standing on the divider, face covered in cheese. Flies away. Another bird enters. He. It's like fuck them chips. Fuck that queso. He goes for cheesecake. What's his name, Amanda? He was Cheesecake Bird. <laughs> he eats this cheesecake like like he's pecking at it like it's like the end of the fucking world. He's like, this is the best thing I've ever fucking had. He leaves. Now, we don't have birds for a few minutes. We're sad about it. So we're like, what if someone goes and gets a piece of that baguette for the birds so that they have like bread instead of this? Should we be doing this? Absolutely not. But here we are because we all have pets and we all are like missing our animals. Like every time we see an animal, Amanda's like, that's going to be my room lizard. Like, <laughs> I did want a room lizard. It did not want to be my room lizard, though. I know you did. I know you did. And so, Amanda, I think it was you that went and got the baguette, wasn't it? Were you our trivia? Yeah, because I definitely almost slipped while getting out of the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it was real slick. And so she gets a little bit of bread, puts it out, leaves the rest of the baguette in the room. And so she puts it there. Now, this is when things start to get hairy. First, there's two birds that come at a time. Then another one comes. Then another one comes. Then another one comes. And another, 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 until we're up to a fucking dozen birds on Amanda's fucking patio. Just fucking a nacho cheese, cheesecake, pieces of bread. They're chomping and shitting all over the fucking place. And then one of them's grabbing bread, taking it to our pool, dipping the bread in our pool, and then eating it. Yeah, I mean, it's having a fucking time. He was refined. He was refined. He was a refined gentleman. And then it all, it comes to a head. We're stressed because at once, like, we knew we shouldn't be doing what we were doing. But then we're like, we've caused a fucking problem. Like, now there's a fucking problem, right? And we're sitting, and we're sitting there and like, Ben is like, he's like trying to like act like he doesn't know us. Like he had no fucking part in this. Like he wasn't like, get the bread, give the birds bread. And he's like, I'm stressed. Your husband, who's like compulsively a rule follower is like looking stressed in the face. And then we're all, we're all just a little bit nervous about this because it's now gotten out of hand. And then (laughs) a bird flies into our room, (laughs) to mine and Ben's room. And we're like, he went to get the baguette. So Ben gets out of the pool to get him. He's not in there after the baguette. He's just in there fucking chilling. Just like straight chilling. He's like, this is great. This is what a time. What a time to be alive. You had a room bird, but I couldn't have a lizard friend. (laughs) If you would have put a baguette and left your door, I'm sure you would have had one. I will tell you, I drunkenly like ate that like baguette in the middle of the night. And I was really happy about it. Like I was happy that that bread was in the room because we had butter. 
Well, the second day, I took you a giant round loaf of bread. Yes, my stomach was bothering me. And I was like, could you guys bring me back some bread from like the all you can eat breakfast? Because room service doesn't have just like a loaf of bread. And <laughs> like they come back to the room with like an offering. They hand me a plate with like a cloth napkin over it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And so like take that and I like put it underneath to like see what bread has been brought to me. She brings me like every bread, every bread. But the top, this top bread truly had like it was like the size of a dinner plate. It was a bread bowl before it became a bowl. And I was like, this is exactly what I wanted. And there was like a fistful of butter. And I was like, yep, this is what my stomach needs. Thank you. I appreciate this. It was it was a gorgeous offering to me. I take my mission seriously. My bread mission. You did well. Well, as he was making your plate, and I was like, "Mm -mm, we need something ridiculous. We need this fucking thing. We need this massive one. And he's like, you think we could take that out of the buffet? And I'm like, I'm just going to walk out with it. And then he's like, fine. And like, put it on the plate. Was Mike dying at this moment? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He like died inside. Like, what are you guys doing? Also, at that point, totally unrelated. But a man that we named Vecna was at the buffet as well. So Ben and I were following Vecna around. Amanda and Ben became obsessed with a man. In case you haven't noticed, yeah. anytime that we're together, we are going to find some a, a stranger and become very interested in their life, who they are, what they're about. And this particular person, I was not there for the original viewing of this human doing strange things we say strange things we mean he was just acting very bizarrely yeah and we couldn't figure out why he was acting in the way that he was acting like so understandably we made up a backstory for him of course yeah and when we say strangely just so you know what we're talking about so you know we're not being assholes we mean that he has like his phone and he's like he's looking at it very intensely looking very sad frantic frantic and then he's like taking his friend's phones and looking at them and looking at what they're looking at and continuing to be frantic and then he'll go sit by himself for a while and then run back and then and then run back to his friends and it was just very it was like what is happening because it wasn't an emergency enough where he was like making a call right no no it was just i mean when you're there and you're eating or they it was wonderful there was a coffee shop Mm -hmm. That was like my all time favorite part because I drink coffee 300, you know, 50 times a day. Yeah. Yeah. And so at one point I was like ordering two at a time, but we would sit there with our coffees and then just, you know, hang out and then watch all the things happening around us. And that was one of them. Yeah. We do love to people watch. We do. Mm -hmm. 